started in just a second. I'm just going to tweet this out really quick. Okay, can everyone hear me? If so, please give me a thumbs up with that little emoji there. All right, great. Just gonna check Twitter really quick to make sure I did this part. Hope everyone's having a great Thursday. Um, let's see. Okay, cool. All righty. Let's go ahead and get started. Welcome to Savvy Sab's Pop is episode 31 on Colin. Noam Chomsky warns of U.S. collapse. Recently, Noam Chomsky discussed the collapse of the U.S. empire with Richard Wolff. China's economy is now a competitor for the U.S. What are your thoughts? So first, I do want to start out by playing a clip from that segment. Uh, I did discuss this the other day. I think that um, Noam Chomsky here and Richard Wolf. this was a really good discussion for those who have not heard it. But I do want you to hear this particular portion right here. So give me just a second. To speak of a decline of an end, if you like, of the U.S. empire in the world, the one that basically came into its modern form after World War II, uh, like the decline of the Roman or Greek or British empire. Is that a reasonable uh, understanding from your perspective? Well, over a long stretch, the U.S. domination of the world has, of course, declined. It hit its peak, as you said, at the end of World War II. At that point, the United States had a position of global power that had no remote analog in human history. U.S. controlled the Western Hemisphere, controlled both oceans, controlled the opposite sides of both oceans. Uh, other industrial powers had been devastated by the war, the United States gained enormously economically through the war. Uh, manufacturing production practically quadrupled. It, it had maybe 40, 50 percent of world's wealth, nothing like that in history. Uh, couldn't obviously couldn't last forever. In fact, within a couple of Okay, I just want to comment here for just a second. Uh, basically, he's saying that the U.S. you know empire has been declining since after World War II. He goes on to say, like, you know, there were some good days, there were some good times, but now it's gotten to the point where you have to realize and understand that this is not something that was going to be sustainable and it wasn't going to last forever. But that's what happens in a capitalist system, something that I do wanted to point out. Okay, let's let's talk about that for a second. I mean, obviously, we do have uh, issues with the economy right now due to inflation. 
But I think that Richard Wolf and Noam Chomsky actually painted a picture there that shows that this actually started many, many decades ago. It started actually after World War II is when the United States actually started to go into a decline. Now, what has been the U.S. response about that? The United States government has decided one way that they could combat that, which has been working for a while, actually, is to ramp up the U.S. military industrial complex. And this is why you will see the United States government intervene in other countries, whether they have a conflict or not. This is why you see the United States government participating in imperialism abroad, because this was a way for them to maintain some type of check of power so that the U.S. can always remain on top. Now, what has happened differently since then? You have a country, a country, China, that has really come up. Economically, China has gotten to the point where we really need them more than they need us. They have become pretty much sustainable their own. They have their own companies, their own organizations. China, the last time I checked, they have been able to eradicate, I think it's 90% of, of poverty, of homelessness in their country. And this isn't like it's a small country. It's a large country. So now the United States has a problem in reference to being on top because now you have a new power that is rising that presents some type of threat to the United States when you look at the economy. The United States always wants to be on top. It does not want to have a close competitor. Now, the other day, I did show you the GDP numbers where there were certain portions where you could see that China actually was in the positive and the United States currently right now has negative numbers. That wasn't supposed to happen according to the United States government. So they are seeing a country like, like China to be a big threat. They do not want another country to basically be the economic power of the world. And so what we have now is a country that has actually been experiencing an economic decline over the couple of decades, but it's much more apparent now because of everything else that has happened, the pandemic, inflation, it's more obvious to us now. In reference to the pandemic, if you look at the way that we handled the pandemic and you look at the way that China handled the pandemic, while we were still struggling here in the United States economically, by that point, China was had pretty much got a handle on the pandemic and they were up and running again. So the question that I have for you guys, and feel free to call in, the question that I have for you, what is the future of the U.S. so-called empire now that things have transpired the way that they have? What is the future? What do you think it is? And the reason why I asked this question is because when I spoke to Professor Wolf last year, he warned me about this, that the days, the great days of U.S. free market are coming to an end and that we will never get back to that point that we were before. He had already warned me that this year would be the year when we would really start to see it. It would be more evident to us. 
So here we are today. And this brings about another question in reference to capitalism. I think that this is a more proof that you can show to people who criticize those of us who are anti-capitalist that a capitalist system is not sustainable forever. Eventually it gets to the point where you have the haves and you have the have nots. And what has happened in the United States, the majority of people here are the have nots, which if you were to ask someone, I think from my grandparents' generation, actually even from my parents' generation, they'll tell you that they didn't think that this would be the case today because they grew up during a different time where trickle-down economics was heavily promoted by the Reagan administration. A lot of people bought into it and thought that this was the way to go. The money is going to trickle down from the top. Now, obviously, people realized later on that that was not working, that that does not work. But I say that because even though as I say that, you still have other companies and organizations that still follow that model. I call it the pyramid scheme. Some of you may be familiar with some of these companies like uh, Avon, Amway. They do the same thing. They have people at the top and they're supposed to recruit people up under them to sell these goods. And then those people recruit people and those people recruit people. And that's how you actually make the money. You need to get more people up under you. But even people I know that have participated in those uh, programs as well will tell you most of the time, the money does not tri trickle down to the people at the bottom. So this idea of this Reaganomics that we had in this country, which I think actually hurt the country more economically, it has been a complete failure. And now you have a country that was used to being on top that really has no answer to this question. And they, they won't tell us that, that they don't know how to solve it and they don't know how to fix it because that would make people panic, right? So what they are going to do instead is they are going to fear monger any other country that is even getting remotely close to the type of economic power that the U.S. has. So I'm going to go ahead and bring in CR. I see you are on the mic. Just have to unmute. Hey, Savvy. Hello. How you doing? Doing great. Good, good. Yeah, I... um like a little bit of an answering a question with the question. I know it's kind of an asshole thing to do, but uh, I, don't, don't you kind of get the sense that this is really self-inflicted, you know, and I hate to be kind of very uh, reduct, reductionist about it, but it really does seem like the fiduciary responsibility that's built into our capitalist systems really, I mean, it's, I mean, greed, obviously greed is what creates those things, but in terms of like a, like the structure, I really feel like, don't you feel like that's we've really shot ourselves in the foot here? <clears throat> I do. I, I think what's unfortunate, though, is that the majority of Americans believed in that structure. Because Richard mm -hmm. Wolf, and I don't know if everyone's aware of this, but Richard Wolf has been, you know, preaching this same message for decades, you guys. And it wasn't until, I would say, the start of the Bernie campaigns where he was allowed to actually come on to more shows and talk about socialism and talk about the problems with capitalism. Before then, he wasn't able to do that because that was like a no-no. It was like, you have yeah, to like praise the free market. Ex exactly. So people have been warned about this for, for a long time, for decades. It's just that I think their mics were too small at that point 
and they were, you know, pretty much blocked out from a lot of like mainstream uh, media channels. So when you would hear on the news that Reaganomics was the way to go, my parents will tell you a lot of Americans bought into that and really thought like, this is the way that you are going to climb up, that you are going to be able to obtain wealth as well. And then all that just crashed. And it's been every couple of years, if you pay attention to the economy, every couple of years, we get back in the situation. This time, though, I can say that I think it's even worse. I think it might be worse now than it was with the 08 housing crisis. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I, I, I agree 100%. And you know what the, the thing is, they're talking about like uh, Richard Wolf's voice. <laughs> oh, this is why history is so important. Uh, uh, you need only to look to the, uh, the Red Scare. You know, the McCarthy era to kind of really, you know, most everybody, most of the people that are very involved in politics, the younger folks these days really don't have that that context to understand how not just marginalized, like absolutely demonized communist and socialist voices were in this country after World War Two. You know, uh, uh, that was like, you know, one of the next big uh, things that they that they want they're like we have to stop communism we have to stop communism we have to stop the ussr so anybody that had any opinions remotely in that direction you know not only were you marginalized demonized but you're actually uh persecuted and prosecuted in a lot of ways you know what i mean just even having any type of communist sympathies could land you in a lot of trouble during this time so we have a rich history <laughs> in this country of uh you know, definitely at, at, at a bare minimum, marginalizing any voices that that kind of speak against the kind of capitalist imperialistic model that that was set up, you know, post World War II. I tend to I tend to disagree a little bit, you know, and, and dude saying that 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 America immediately declined after World War II because, you know, we were able to uh, capitalize on the fact that most of Russia was destroyed and all of our infrastructure was still intact. You know, um, so we, there was a little bit there, but yeah, it wasn't too much longer after that. Uh, um, and we could definitely arguably say that as for the worker, it's been in perpetual decline since the uh, wages got decoupled from productivity and uh, was it 1972, I think is the big split there. But the main thing I just can't keep, I can't get out of my head is thinking about like China. We're so afraid of China right now. It's like, who were the fucking assholes that have been giving them nonstop money? And moving production over there. That's right. Capitalist. So it's like you; it, it, these people are so fucking afraid of China. It's like you've done nothing but help these capitalist assholes move all of our industry over there. We have no industry left in this country. We have no fucking industry. And God, I wish I could remember which CEO said this. He was talking. Right. Uh, and he was saying that like they, they, his company wanted to move to is like Mexico or China or Taiwan, one of those things like that. And he was saying, I don't want to do this. I, I do not want to do this. I know this is bad for the workers. This is bad for Americans. It's bad for all that kind of stuff like that. I don't agree with this at all, but I'm going to recommend that our company move over to Mexico or China, or whatever. That's the, as a thing, that's the recommendation I'm going to make to the board because I have to, because of my fiduciary responsibility, even though everything inside of me is telling me, do not do this. He's, I, my hands are tied basically is what the CEO tried, you know, claimed that, you know, I have to, I have an obligation to my shareholders to make a recommendation to the board that they do this thing that will increase shareholder profit. And 
even when you have people that are you know in positions of power that have moral objections to sending jobs overseas just so some fucking capitalist assholes can save a few pennies on units but hey when you sell millions of units a few pennies here a few pennies there you know hey if i can make it for 10 cents cheaper in mexico that's then I'm right go make it you know and, and the worker be damned the country be damned everybody that gave them the opportunity to <laughs> be where they're at nowadays so people love to say like oh you know facebook and Twitter and Amazon or whatever they could they could censor whoever they want they can whatever they're a private company they're a private company it's like they are, those roads are public the internet was create wouldn't have been created without public you know funding and kind of help it, you know what I mean and to try to pretend like all these companies own the infrastructure and the workers who actually create the value for their companies have no 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 skin in the game whatsoever you know all those fucking delivery trucks that drive Amazon shit. Amazon didn't make a fucking road in this country, right? They didn't make yeah. the freeways and shit like that. <laughs> we did. Our labor did. <laughs> and and yet they could turn around and kind of go, oh, yeah, yeah, well, you know, fuck you. You know, it doesn't matter. And then you have so many of these other people that are just blindly pro-capitalist. They're like, well, yeah, they can do whatever they want. They're a private company. They want to move to Mexico and fire 40,000 workers. So what? That's their choice. Exactly. And so well, I, just, one like, thing... to me, I just don't, it's a shot in the fucking foot by ourselves at every fucking turn by allowing these capitalists to run rampant. That's right. I think that one thing that really fed this was greed. Greed really drove a lot of this. Uh, you, If we think back to the days, like when we had, when automobiles were made in this country, when you had Ford, right? Like the parts were made here. Somewhere along the way, someone decided, well, it would be a lot cheaper if those parts were made overseas and then I could make more profit. And that's, that's the problem. Greed really drove, yeah, greed really drove a lot of this. And so along with that, that also meant that that costs people jobs because if you have the parts made overseas do you really need to have 100 employees working at ford no you don't so then you start laying people off and this actually in my opinion is uh what started the collapse of detroit because when you started moving those jobs out yeah. and people remember a lot of people moved from the south to detroit because of the automobile industry to get those jobs so now you have all these people that have moved there to a city at one point that was actually really thriving. And now they've lost all these jobs. Uh, factories closed. So what happens then? The people start to move out because there's no work. And you have no work, then the schools start to fall apart. And then you have the schools fall apart and then the state starts to, the city starts to close all these schools. So like Rome has talked about this a lot because he grew up in Detroit where he saw them close 40 schools, but it all started with greed. Had we kept things the way that they were and we continued to make our own products here in the United States, I don't think we would be in as bad as a position as we are now. But I'll also add this as well. I can't really, you know, envision the time that my my grandparents grew up in and my parents grew up in where they can tell me stories about going to the furniture store, the local furniture shop and buying a piece of furniture and the quality was so much better because people actually put, you know, put their time and energy into it and it wasn't done uh, the cheap, the cheaper, faster way so that they could buy a piece of furniture and the furniture would last for years. That doesn't happen today. 
I can't tell you how many <laughs> times. Exactly. You know how many times I've bought a coffee table and it's fallen apart. It doesn't even last like over a year. Like every the quality went down when we sent uh, those jobs overseas because we're, they're like, oh, they're cheaper and they're faster. But what's the quality? So yeah. even though those businesses, American businesses, were able to save money, the American people are actually paying more. If you have to continue to yes. go out and keep purchasing the same goods over and over, we're paying more. And they're making all the money. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, 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 as I'm as I'm standing standing here talking to you right now, I'm looking at the hundred plus uh, table, hundred hundred year plus old table in my uh, dining room that was uh, uh, my great grandma's. <laughs> you know, uh, um, and that eventually got given to uh, uh, my family, and then when I moved out, dad was like, "Hey." You know, <laughs> perfectly good dining room table. It's been sitting in the garage for a while. Why don't you take it with you? You know, so I, yeah, I have a hundred year old plus uh, dining table that still works just fine. I mean, I've had to, I've had to tighten up the legs a couple times here and there, and I think, uh, you know, maybe put a new, new stain or something like that on the top of it. But it, it's a fucking hundred years old, and That's... it still works. It still works great, and it's a fairly heirloom kind of. You know what I mean? It's been through a couple of generations, so that's like it's got that fun. Story too. Anyways, yeah, I get this side there, but I, 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 for the life of me, I, it's kind of it's 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 not only shooting ourselves in the foot, but it's horribly short-sighted because I feel like the vast majority of these capitalists, if you were to kind of like sit them down, you know, in a cocktail kind of setting, and you're you know just talking with them casually, and you'd be like, man, you don't want fucking China to become more powerful than America, do you? Go, oh, fuck no, man, we don't want to give them our our manufacturing power. We don't want to relinquish that to them. Do we? No, no, fuck no. Yeah, let's keep, you know what I mean? Like you feel like if you just talk to them dude to dude, you know, you would, they would be able to be like, yeah, of course not. But then they get in that fucking suit. They get in that fucking room with those goddamn fucking board members, you know what I mean? With the shareholders and all that shit. And they're like, how can we save 10 cents? You know, That's right. 15 cents on a unit. And they're like, well, we could move every, fire these thousands of people and move it to Mexico and or move it to China or whatever, and, and we'll get those things, you know. But again, not thinking about how short-sighted is that for the economy that you supposedly care so fucking much about, that you believe in so goddamn much, you know what I mean? Like you're taking those dollars out of this economy and you're just sending them over there, you know. So if you're so concerned about your fucking competitor, you know, it's like just, I almost feel like, can't we, why can't we appeal to their fucking greed? And their selfishness and their, 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 you know, their myopic worldview. You fucking hate China so much. Why the fuck do you keep fucking moving the shit over there, giving them more power? How do they have this economic power? How do they have this stranglehold on us, which we saw very clearly during the uh, pandemic when shelves dried right up? You know, I mean, you couldn't buy toilet paper for fucking weeks on end. <clears throat> right. Because we don't, we don't fucking make anything here anymore. That's so, right. You know what I mean? We, we move all of our reliance to these people over there and. We gave them our money. So when motherfucker capitalists turn on and bitch about fucking China now being in a in a position to compete with us economically, I can't help but say anything else. My brother in Christ, you made the sandwich. Eat it. Mm. Well, CR, thank you so much for calling in. I see we got a couple other callers, so I'm gonna go ahead and take them. But thanks so much. Always good to talk to you, Sabby. Have a wonderful Thursday. Thanks, you too. Okay, we're going to bring in Simon here. 
Simon, I'm curious to hear your take on this. Hello. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm all right. Um, yeah. Um, well, coming from a outside point of view, outside the United States, like from Canada, um, what I'm seeing is like a less, uh, not less belligerent, but a lot less substance behind that belligerent voice from the United States over the years, but based on some some of the media reports I hear from our national media up here, it seems like more bark and less bite nowadays. There's the foreign policy of the United States seems more impotent than it was during the early two thousands. A lot of it is posturing, a lot less substance is what I'm trying to say. I can I get your take on that? Well what do you mean by that? You mean like in reference to action, like us actually doing something? Yeah, such as impotent sanctions that don't really make uh don't really have any impact on the moving foreign actors the way the United States government would want. Uh, ever and like even <clears throat> foreign intervention seems to be a lot less uh on substance seems uh like ever since Iraq too, it seems there's a hesitance, at least from a PR standpoint, to go into countries, at least with troops. I know there's like drones, there's still signature strikes and all that, but it seems more impotent, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I think part of that may oh, have sorry. to do with the my fact dog. that. Sorry, my dog's having him. Okay. <laughs> well, hello there, little little guy. Yeah, she's a couton tulier. I get bougie like that sometimes with <laughs> my pets. Yeah, she's a All right, yapper. I'm gonna um, I'm just gonna mute you really quick while I respond. Um, so basically, uh, one thing I will say, some of that probably came from the fact that there was a lot of criticism, um, after the Iraq with the Iraq War, because uh, that we were fed a lot of BS. To be honest with you, we were told we were going there for one reason, and you come to find out there were no weapons of mass destruction. Uh, we were fed a huge lie, and a lot of people died. And a lot of people believed it. So that could be part of the reason why they seem to be a little bit more hesitant uh, to send troops into countries. I don't think they should be sending troops there anyway. I think we need to leave those countries alone and let them live their life. Because from what I've seen, every time we seem to get involved with another country, whether it's that you know, conflict there or not, the people in that country are worse off than they were before there was U.S. intervention. And so for me, I think we need to stay out of these these situations. But I'm curious to hear from you in reference to Canada. I'm going to put you back on um, uh, the caller part. In Canada, is it the same in reference to production? Like, do you tend to make more of your own goods or are you heavily depending on other countries like the United States? Curious to hear about that. You just have to unmute. Hello? Yeah, um... In Canada, from I'm not in the manufacturing sector. I do like uh, service jobs here and there. In the main cities, there is no manufacturing. Everyone's mostly like uh, either you're either a restaurant like worker, like a waitress, or you work at McDonald's or something. If you're just like a real everyday working person, or you're like in banking or real estate, <laughs> it's kind of like a pyramid scheme here too. <laughs> in reference to what you were saying earlier, like the real estate just goes crazy and especially in the uh, Toronto area. But uh, outside, there are some niche industries that are propped up by government subsidies to buy votes from 
to be honest, like from conservatives, actually, like uh, conservative party here seems to buy votes recently for like a big and symbolic announcement for this plant and so and so, like some uh, like town, like two hours out from Toronto that has like maybe fifty thousand people living there, and they uh, build some hundred ten million dollar plant for Toyota or whatever. That's the kind of deal here. Okay. Uh, but in reference to, like, for example, if you were to go to, I don't know, if you went to, like, a furniture store or a clothing store, are those products usually typically made in Canada? Like, would it say Pro- made in no, Canada? It's no, it's the same as, like, America. It's all made in China. It's all Ikea. It's all what the previous guest was saying. It's Wow. You would have to, like, find some niche, like like rich store that's like makes like $20,000 for some fancy table that looks like it's meant for some like a uh, wall street guy doing blow off of from the eighties kind of deal. <laughs> if I can say it like that. Right. Another thing I want to add to this as well, which I feel sometimes isn't talked about. I remember when they started to remove, well, actually not, I was in a lab during that time, but my parents told me about this that when they were growing up, a lot of the public schools here had woodshop classes where students there could learn how to make, you know, goods with their hands. They could learn how to build a table. They could learn how to build a bookshelf. Over the years, my parents said the school programs, particularly in in Baltimore, they started to remove woodshop classes from the schools. And then I think back to when I was in high school, and big message that they pushed with with my generation was that you had to go to college in order to make a decent living, that you would not be able to make a decent living if you did not go to college. So that was heavily ingrained in us. And what was not pushed was for us to go to some of these vocational, you know, tech uh, schools or to go to uh, some of these schools where we could learn how to do how to do jobs with our hands. And I wonder if that's part of the reason, too, as to why we don't really make anything here in this country. Like, I don't really know many people that know how to build anything. Yeah, I would agree with that. A lot of government policies in Western countries have been steering people to this neoliberal uh, fantasy of, like, you get a million dollars more if you go to college, like, kind of deal. But uh, up here, it seems like, surprisingly, the uh, local... Uh, provincial, which is kind of like similar to your state's government, which is like conservative, have been pushing for more uh, trades. Not, I think, in my opinion, not on altruistic merits for like uh, kids' future or anything like that. It's more like people who don't go to who go to university disproportionately come out with liberal views. So that's like a cynical, my cynical take on why the government has this local policy of. This recent policy of pushing trades education, vocational training, trying to be a plumber, trying to be an electrician, that kind of deal. Right. Like that's that's really it's really interesting. I just noticed that we're not. It's one I of know few, some people. It's one of the few uh, policies where uh, cons- the cons- local provincial like uh, conservatives push for education here in, this, uh, in funding, at least uh, in the local in the province of Ontario, which is like where I live. Yeah, I feel like they they went from teaching us how to make products and to make goods for ourselves to go work for a company that purchases those products instead. And I, I think that's 
that's a problem. I know trades have come up again. Uh, I know Bernie brought this back up again when he started running in 2016, that we need to be advocating for people to go to the trade schools. Like we need electricians, we need plumbers, you need construction work, you need people to do that work. And so I, I feel like uh, we're ill-equipped. Uh, I feel like a lot of people from my generation, and I talked to some of my former students who are Gen Z as well, we're ill-equipped. Like we don't know how to to build. We don't know how to, like how many people... Let's just say you were stranded right now. How many people know how to build a fire? How many people know how to build shelter? Like some of these things I know how to do because I was a camp counselor. But other than that, like how would we survive on our own if we had to make and build everything for ourselves? I think we've become very dependent on consumerism. And I think that's a problem. Funny enough, like there was like a blackout, blackout where I lived about like a month ago. And I was like wow, I don't know what to do. Like, me and my roommates, we got, like, candles and, uh, like, a local blackout, not, like, a citywide blackout, but it was still, like, <laughs> kind of rough there for a bit. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I feel what you're saying. Yeah, well, thank you so much uh, for calling in, Simon. I'm going to go to the next caller here. Okay, and the next caller is Eric. You're on the mic. Oh yeah! Oh boy! So, to be honest, the American Empire is already—we're already done. It's just most people don't know it yet. Mm. That's an interesting point, Eric. Why do you say that? I, I say I say that because it's like—I mean, I mean, like I said, we don't manufacture anything. Our infrastructure's trash. Um, we just plucked more money into war like it's nothing. Um, yeah. The people, as, as a people, were effectively powerless in the political sense, but. Yeah, I'm I'm noticing the differences with the, with the generation. I, I have to bring this up. I, I've been noticing the differences because we went from, you know, I I feel like I guess I'm a part of what's called that latchkey, the latchkey kids or whatever they used to call us. We were kind of used to taking care of ourselves. Like I didn't necessarily have a babysitter per se. I knew how to let myself into the house. I knew how to make dinner for myself. All those kinds of things. Uh, but I will say, uh, former students of mine, I noticed there was something happening here where they didn't know how to do those life skill things that I was taught as a kid. And I mean, things like not knowing how to do your laundry, not knowing how to, you know, make food for yourself if you have to, uh, not knowing how to find your way your way around. And this one was really shocking to me because I'm like, you guys are always on social media. You know how to use Google Maps. Why are you asking me how to get to the bookstore? Like, you, you guys know how to do these things. So that was one of the things I used to do when they would come to me and say, uh, where is such and such place? I would tell them to Google it. I'm like, use your resources. Like, you have to learn how to do it on your own instead of like holding their hand and taking them the whole way. But it, it has become, it was very shocking to me when I realized like they didn't know how to do these things. And I had to ask myself, what happened here? Like what, you know, again, like what, what is to become 
of the future generations if this is what is 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 happening and, and one of my former students told me that uh they had lawnmower parents and i had to ask them what that meant <laughs> again i don't know a lot of these new phrases but they explained to me they said lawnmower the lawnmower parenting are the ones that they pretty much knock out any obstacles that may come in their child's way so the child doesn't have to deal with it. They don't have to deal with challenges. They don't have to deal with obstacles. So she explained to me that like, she never learned how to do laundry because her parents took care of everything for her. She never learned how to deal with like stress or anything. If anything came up, the parents would jump in the way and shield the child from it. So by the time they would come to me and their college students, for me to push back on them and say, oh, use your phone. You got Google Maps there. You can figure it out. It was a shock to them because they weren't used to doing that. And so I do worry about future generations that are coming up because it's like, you know, we need more leaders. We don't need more followers. And I worry, like if things were to like seriously collapse tomorrow, I worry that the generations behind us would not know how to really fend for themselves. I worry about that. Yeah, so it goes to what, what we're creating. I mean, we live in a world of oversimplification and it's just, and, and, and you know it's bad especially again me teaching math I see it in like I go okay, here's the process on how to do this and it's just like again it's like people like well my students are like well I just want the answer I'm like that's not the point you need to also do the process to get the answer so <sighs> That's at least a classroom example of, what, of that. Yeah. Yeah, basically showing your work. It's, it's just. Eric, yeah. <laughs> you're one of those teachers. <laughs> yeah, I, no, I, I, I am because it's like, I, I, gotta, I gotta know if I'm actually teaching it. I mean, <laughs> I gotta know if you actually get it. <laughs> Eric, my husband, oh my God. My, my husband was one, he's really good at math. So he was one of those kids that he could just figure it out in his head. And his teacher, you you were one of those teachers that used to say, you have to show your work. And he was like, but I already know the answer. He was like, just <laughs> like, why do I need to do all this? <laughs> so you're one of those teachers. That's interesting. Yeah, it's, it's just, um, but I, I'd actually give like at least some extra if they did it, so. I'm like, okay, here's something extra, you know, for something you're supposed to do anyway. But I, I don't know. It's just it's so, some of the some of the high schoolers get it. Like some of them see the bullshit, and now a lot of them are starting to ask, "Why aren't we learning certain things?" Well, damn. Why why am I not learning how taxes work, or why am I not learning how? you know, how to prepare a budget or something. Like, why am I not learning essential things instead of going through this bullshit in school? That's right. That's another good thing, too. And I, I get it, too. I think, like, the education system kind of sees as though, well, that's something that your parents are supposed to teach you. But, but they spend a lot of time teaching people imaginary numbers in math class, which I have never used to this day. I yeah. have to say that. I'm sorry. I have a beef with imaginary numbers. <laughs> just do <laughs> like 
But I, I, I think I, I get that too, though. I, I understand where they're coming from with that because that it's true. Like I've watched students get scammed by uh, slum lords uh, here yeah. all the time, signing things and not reading the documents that they're signing. Meech uh, explained to them that you can't get out of this lease because you signed it and it was in the document. Just things like that. I, I think, you know, I wonder, if, do you think that technology is partially to blame? And I asked that question because when I was growing up, there was no spell check. So if I wanted to know if I spelled a word correctly, like I had to open up the dictionary and look for the, the spelling and everything. Nobody has to do that now. Yeah. Tech, technology played a part in that. And technology isn't bad. It's just we got like you have younger generations that got to the point of now that's their natural instinct to rely on the technology. And it's it's just a fact, like, with with that, too, I mean, and back on, like, actually learning, learning real, real stuff and actually doing work, like, I, I would show, I would show Richard Wolf videos from time to time in my class, too. And apparently, I got a complaint about that. <laughs> I, I was about to, I was about to say, they let you do that because... Well, my principal was cool with it. Apparently someone else wasn't. And I'm like, hmm, that's fascinating. So it's it's funny because it's really it's it's really like I get so much more engagement. Yep. <laughs> it's fucked up. But I get so much more engagement from playing the ritual video <laughs> and letting him basically teach my class <laughs> or or then me actually just teaching the math. I'm like, let me try this. And it started out as me experimenting and I'm like, okay. You, yeah. you, at, least, you at least get a, get a ritual video uh, once every week or something. like. But that's what kids, that's what people should be watching. They should listen to Richard Wolf videos, whether they believe in socialism or not. Richard Wolf is still an economist. And I, I think I wish more people could hear his message at a younger age so that they understand why the capitalist system works the way that it does. Oh, I wish I would have heard Richard Wolf when I was in high school. And I think some of them even engage more when they're like, oh, oh, I, oh, he's he used to be the, the, that that uh, used to be Janet Yellen's classmate, the lady that Joe Biden has over. Uh, what is it? Tre the Treasury Department or whatever. Um Oh, really? And he's saying this, but they got the same professors and he's saying this and she's doing <laughs> like at some point the, the bullshit is the fan. And, and especially like with the baby formula shortage and having to explain and talk to my juniors and seniors through that and it's still going on. Mm-hmm. But that's another thing with the baby, the baby formula. Do we even make that in this country? I don't know. I doubt it. It's more profitable to make it somewhere else. Yep. Jesus. Yep. I know. Well, Eric, thank you so much for calling in. I'm going to go to the next uh, caller here. Appreciate it. Okay. Uh, Sinway. You are on the Hello. mic. Thank you. Hello. Hi. Um. So, 
Um, there was a comment I dropped about, like, um, it's greed, which is very true, but, uh, there was, or, well, there was a song that got me thinking, and it's a cut song from the uh, crappy, uh, Lumination Orax movie, but the song itself, well, uh, called Bittery, and one of the things that was mentioned is that greed, you can't just blame greed. And you can't just blame greed. The other half of it basically is pride. The U.S., well, it's very prideful. It's breaking down over the fact that they're no longer in power. Other countries have rebuilt to the point that they can take care of themselves now. And uh, <laughs> their ego in the military definitely got shattered when losing the Vietnam War, could not, and even the Korean War, so, but they're just gonna keep getting at it, just, yeah, so I'm kind of wondering just if you agree on the thoughts of, like, pride also being part of greed, because these people, these billionaires, millionaires, they don't need these fancy stuff. No, they don't. <laughs> they don't. It's a uh, status symbol for some people. Absolutely. And, and not even just people who are billionaires and millionaires. Even people that I used to work with, it's a status symbol to have a name brand handbag that costs $500. Even though, by the way, and I want to give a shout out here uh, to all of the women that are listening. FYI, when you're walking down the street, most people are not thinking about what handbag you have on. Just, just FYI. <laughs> just saying. You can use that money for something else, but I've been guilty of it too. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a, it's a status symbol. Like people want to be able to say, I have this car, I have this bag, I have this house. I have like, look at what I have. And they think that that makes them somehow better in society. Well, it puts them on a different level. Well, that's true. The other side of it is judgment by their peers. This whole uh, showing off of just to increase their status, get more admiration from their peers, and they go after the most shallow thing. So if you don't look it, you're going to get targeted almost like high school. So there is that aspect of what's uh, feeling this, and this is even before capitalism, I'm sure. But do you think that that is done to fill some type of void? Like, is oh. that, do you think that may be done for people to try to make their self feel happier than they are as though they're trying to, I don't know, compensate for something that they may be missing? I wonder about that sometimes. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's probably the case for some others. They probably came from a decent, I mean, they could have came from a decent family, but they were raised. But again, those families part of like, you gotta maintain your status. So they probably, well, picked up from that too. They're going into a world that you have to fit in because, well, your parent, you come from that family of, um, rich, from the rich family, so it's probably that aspect as well. Yeah, something I, I have noticed, um, at least when I was in, in college, uh, there were particularly, I would say, a good group of students that I would say a good amount of students that went to college with me, even though it was a state school at that time. And then I went to private school for uh, grad school. 
one of the things I noticed is that there was a, a, a good amount of kids that came from pretty, I would say, well-to-do uh, families financially. And as, you know, as you got to know people, and again, looking back on it, I think they really meant well, but as I got to know them, I started to see like, there's a lot of like wealthy people in this country that are incredibly unhappy, that really do not live like happy lives. They they put on a good face to the public. So you think they're really happy. But once you like, once I started to like get to know some of them and like on a personal level, I realized like there was a lot of crazy things going on. And I'm talking about like to the point where, and no shade to anyone who's had to go through this, but just things that sometimes people have this impression that if someone is rich or wealthy, that they're necessarily happy because they have a lot of money. I would yeah. meet people or get to know people and then you would find out that like the the spouse or whatever wasn't even like they were married, but they didn't even like stay in the same room. Like they would lead basically separate lives. And it had just gotten to the point where they were financially comfortable together. So they were together, but they weren't actually happy with each other. Just things like that. Like it just, it was, I think it was really surprising to me. And I started to realize that like, you know, I knew people that I would say were, were struggling like financially and they seemed to be happier than a lot of the, the wealthy people that I would meet. And I'm just like, what the fuck is going on in these people's lives? Like some of the things I saw, I was just like, wow, it's interesting what you see once you really get to know people. So I think that I wonder if it's to compensate for something. Probably. Um, going back to that CEO means well, but can't because they're shareholders. It probably has to deal with that too. It's like, again, maintaining the status maintain their position and job so that can also contribute to stuck in this capitalist going back to being stuck in the capitalist system because you owe your shareholders more than the workers and again and it ties back into i have to keep my job i've been raised to like i've worked so hard to get here i can't lose it and I know these shareholders will no doubt kick me out of what I built so hard to get to. So it's probably that's what they're thinking. Every that's a good point. Day. That's a good point. And maybe that's why they continue to try to accumulate more and more wealth. Just to like, I don't know. It's just like, when is enough enough? Like, do you have to take over everything? I look at someone like Bill Gates, like you're you're fine where you're at financially. Do you have to buy up more property? Do you have to buy up more farmland? Like when is enough enough? Uh um maybe there's another aspect. And this was probably from an old Arbian video about uh the rich and why they uh become like sex abuse and they get away with it. But basically if I remember how it went, it was like they have so much money, they're untouchable and you know they throw money at to make the problem go away and like there's no challenge so to compensate and there's no challenge there's less fun i don't know on stimulus to that challenge brings so maybe they so that's why they do like the immoral acts to get that feeling of 
that feeling that's challenging, like what adrenaline or yeah, something. it's just yeah, it it really makes you wonder. It's just like what happens after you have everything, right? Like where do you go from there? So, yeah. but thank you so much for calling in Zenway. I'm gonna go to. Uh, I see Amanda oh. is on the line as well. Have a good day. You too. Okay, Amanda, you are the next caller. How are you doing, Sabrina? Are you having a good day today? I am. I'm I'm ready for the weekend, I can tell you. <laughs> I I hear I hear that. So so I I just it collapses such a it's I mean so many people can have opinions on what it is and when it what it looks like, but the reality is that we have to live the lives we're in right now and try to make that it as best as we can for all the people around us, right? We've got to harden our networking lines so they're harder to break so that we all can have our, you know, these, these kind of conversations so that we can be planning things. I mean, I was, I happened to be having a call-in show and Rudy went down to Amy Klobuchar, Senator Klobuchar's office in Minneapolis. They were having an anti-war protest down there. And so those of us in the room, and actually I posted it, so if people want to listen, it's kind of cool. Um, Rudy held up the, his phone to the speaker um, just a few days ago. Um, so, so I think there's a lot of good things happening and, and using, using the platform you have to be, to be putting forward stories like the, 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 how in Oakland teenagers got it on the ballot that they could vote 16 and 17 for the school board, but then the, the county didn't do it in time for them to vote this year for the school board. So, and the next election is two years away. So 16 and 17 year olds, it doesn't even matter anymore. They'll be 18 by the time it's implemented. But there's, but there's only the activists who originally got it done. I mean, who's going to pressure the county clerk to get, to get the ballots done, right? But having the platform to see that there are victories, like the fact that they did get it, and they will have it at least in 2024. So, or the little victories or little notifications of of things that are going on all over the place. Cause, because I think that's important, too. We can't just be lamenting the the horrors of what's to come and what what past generations did to put us on this path that we can't seem to get off of, which is a really not that fun path if you look at it, can't look at it too close. Kind of like looking at the sun, it's really not good for you. Because <laughs> it doesn't look, it's because it's getting even worse. So just be prepared for for loving other human beings, even if they're assholes, because when it comes down to it, people will learn how to build stuff. And, and you know, it's, it, it's definitely the case that you're probably also a bit of a victim of your own, 
social bubble, right? The people that you tend to hang out with tend to have similar backgrounds and types of, so, you know, at least for me, I don't mean to presume. I shouldn't presume. I'm just, I'm just saying it, it sometimes you'd be surprised what people that you know actually Anyhow, now I'm just babbling. I appreciate you giving me the time, and I will uh, hang up and let let Wilson uh, or William. Man, I need glasses. <laughs> I hope you have a good so afternoon, Sabrina. Thank yeah, you, sure. Amanda. Have a good one, Sabrina. You too. That's a good point. Um, I think a lot of us are stuck in in our bubbles sometimes, and that's why I really think we need to talk to people on the other side. And I think those of us who are not wealthy, you know, a lot of times we end up in spaces with people who are mainly could be because we work for that company or uh, we, we had some type of business arrangement or some type of business dealing with them. And so we have to interact with them. Um, and I, I would like to see it happen on the other way, the other way around as well. I would like to see some of those people who are wealthy have that same type of interaction with people who are working class and people who are poor and not just when they're trying to get elected. Uh, but you know, it is what it is and this is the country that we live in, but yeah, we, I think we do need to get out of our, our bubbles that we have. I'm going to go ahead and take, uh, William here. You are on the mic. Hello, Sabi. Can you hear me? I can hear you very well. Hi. First, I want to thank you for doing what you do. I listen to you and I appreciate everything you're doing and your perspectives. It gives us regular folk, someone that we can relate to. And I really appreciate you doing calling where we can have a voice. So I wanted to say that right off the bat. Thank um, you so much. Yeah, you know, I think about oh, Cornell West, Chris Hedges, uh, you know, Dr. Wolf. Wouldn't that be a dream? like a platform and possible like Cornell as president running as president and Chris Hedges as vice president and Wolf as, you know, secretary of state or something, you know, we get some options here that we really get motivated to vote for, you know, on a, on a top yes. ticket presidential level, like a third party. Wouldn't that be awesome? You know that I mean? would be. I know. I asked Chris Hedges if he would run. He said no, unfortunately. Really? You yeah. did ask him that. What did he say? Yeah. He said he's he's actually you know more content. I think like just doing what he does now by educating people, whether it's through like books or podcasts, that kind of thing. Um, mm. And that's he feels like that's more of like Lane, um, yeah. but. But yeah, I, I did ask him, and he also told me that the Green Party had reached out to him once before and asked him as well. Hmm. How about Cornell West? Have you interviewed him yet? I have not. I've tried to get uh, Cornell West on multiple times, but I haven't been able to get him on. I'm surprised. You'd be a, that'd be a great interview. I, I know he's kind of dropped out of the spotlight, hasn't he, since he lost his tenure? I don't know. You know, he was, I haven't seen much on, have you seen much in him in the YouTube public domain lately? No, unfortunately, you know, I think there's a lot of things that play here. Um, he did come on RBN and had an interview with Nick uh, twice, but then after that, I really did not 
see or hear much from him. And I think, you know, I think part of this, and this is a whole other topic, I think part of this has to do with the division that's happening on the left uh, that was not either was not there before force the vote or maybe wasn't as apparent, right? Uh, mm-hmm. This was before like people started calling each other names on social media and on YouTube shows and everybody just kind of like podcasters just kind of like yelling at each other. This was before all that when everybody for the most part was united under the progressive movement and getting these policies through, right? Well, a right. lot of separation has happened since force the vote and people, some people just... You know, I mean, Cornell West, you know, he he's he's an activist, he's an academic and, you know, he wanted to see change and, and good things mm-hmm. happen. And he is coming from an era where people got in the streets and people worked right. together with these things. And, you know, maybe who knows, maybe force the vote might have something to do with this where just so many people just split and separated and now i feel like it's just there's a lot of ego there's a lot of division over ego instead of over policy when you look at the policy issues we're still all for the most part united over the policies but not united over the personalities and so some people have just i'll be honest with you like some people are like i don't want to I don't want to get into this. I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to deal with like the drama and the division. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think there's something to be said about that. I mean, I'll tell you, you know, another thing I noticed, I haven't heard from Justin Jackson either. You know, some of the people that were involved with force the vote, like yeah. I know he's also playing football too, but you know, some, sometimes some people don't want to, they don't want to deal with all that that division and stuff like that, to be honest with you. And then there was also the fallout that happened. I don't know if you saw this, but last year uh, when Tim Black kind of like had that rant where he just went after everybody after Nina Turner lost, you know, there was a, a big split there. And it's like, if you're friends with people on both sides, like, what do you do? Right. So it's just, right. I don't know. There's, I think some people have, are just like, they don't want to deal with all of that. I understand. I, it's is you know, divide and conquer is a tactic used um, uh, to to really diffuse a movement. And the what's behind that? I mean, there's so many layers of this. There's so many layers of this onion. Uh, it, it's it's so interdependent, isn't it? I mean, um, like let's let me throw out a couple things, and you tell me, you know obviously what time limits we have and stuff, but are you familiar with the Princeton Northwestern study, a 20 year study done on whether our votes matter? Have you read anything about that? That was professor Gillens at Princeton. Gillens. Yes. Yeah. I, I actually went over that on my show. I, I went over okay. that study. It's, it's very important. And I, I think more people need to read that so people can realize that basically if you're you're poor or middle class, our vote doesn't really affect policy change at all. Exactly, exactly. And of course, we need a, multiple parties and ranked choice voting. The problem is, how do we get that through the gatekeepers? You know what I mean? The the right and left parties, whatever Democrat and Republican, who run the show at least out of Washington, and then. I think, Sabi, it's important, and I'm, I'm sure you covered it. I, I've recently started following you, I want to say. So 
But if we go to the next level, we now have a face on what's been what JFK talked about, the secret societies. And I think it was 1961 or two speech on secret societies. The face we have that we see now is the World Economic Forum, right, which has the NGOs that, as Klaus Schaub talks about, have penetrated the cabinets, you know, around the world. You know what I'm saying? And then we can go above that to the Bilderberg Group, which was existence 20 years before them, which is one of the secret societies that JFK was talking about, obviously. You know what I mean? And then one can even go to another level, like these generational families out of Western Europe, let's face it, where it began, you know, the British Empire and the... uh, the, the the central bankers, you know what I mean? And the generational families, you know, names that some of us have, are familiar with, like Rockefeller, Rothschild, you know, uh, there's Warburg, uh, uh, there's so many others that, that, that have worked to centralize the power. Do you follow me? And how that affects all world governments. Do you know what I'm saying? And so we're right. then... You, you know where I'm, I'm starting. We have, I think one of the problems is trying to contextualize things in that we're, if, if we're just looking at our, our politics here in America and we're wondering what's going on, you know, why, why can't we get anywhere? Well, there are forces above that, that, you know, you, I just cited and that have been around for many, many, many generations that go a long way back, even to some say the Kazarian times and you know uh uh the 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 italian mafias the consarian mafias you know what the 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 western european powers that that uh, that the american revolution was was fighting let me do you see what i'm saying the very foundation of of the central bankers that uh, that still still some say are really in control of this world through the bank of international settlements, you know, the alphabet soup, you know, of organizations, you know, that yeah. they all work together. Do you see what I'm saying? Whether it's a council of foreign relations, a trilateral commission, the, you know, you know, where I'm going. It's like we have so many things in play and I hope I'm not throwing too much out to where it's becoming confusing, but, that's because that's intentional. There's so much, so many layers, so many different organizations that when we come down here to dealing with it on our interpersonal level, it's almost incomprehensible. It's like the grand, um, and some people misunderstand the word conspiracy. You know, conspiracy is two or more people acting in a way that are nefarious that are that harm other people that are illegal let's say or or immoral do you follow me so this is not conspiracy theory this i mean we have the world economic forum we know about now the Bilderberg group things i've cited the these aren't theories these are these are realities do you understand what i'm 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 trying to say and i'm sure you've covered a lot of this Yeah, well, this is why I keep telling people to follow the money and stop focusing so much on the left-right divide, because the left-right divide is just a distraction so that we're not focused on the class issue. Exactly. It's it's all about the Benjamins, like um, who said Amar, one of the squad. Um, It is. This is the this. You know, the American Revolution was fought because the central banks in England wanted obviously had a, 
a currency where they, they wanted interest for it. Do you follow me? And so the American Revolution was fought to fight the taxes and the interest that was imposed by by the European powers. You see what I'm saying? And people were fleeing that. And so that hasn't changed. And, and that if you look at the, what was determined to be the first bank, well, talked about as the first American bank, the second American bank, first and second bank of America, and the Federal Reserve, that's just more of the same. Do you know what I mean? These these large central bank powers that start out of London City. I'll, I'll throw another thing out at you. Have you heard of the Tri-City States? It's where they fly a flag with three red stars. And there's an Egyptian obelisk in the center of each. You have the Vatican. How do you control people? Through religion, right? Through the powers of political power and religion. You have the Vatican. We have the St. Peter's Square. We have the Egyptian obelisk. You have London City, another tri-city state. These are all independent city-states within their own country. You follow what I'm saying? Like the Vatican is, a, is an independent city-state. You have London City, the same. And you have Washington, the District of Columbia, within our own country. Notice they all have an Egyptian obelisk right in the center. And what where I'm going with that is these are... Some people, if you want to talk a little bit about religion or not, but occult powers, the the good and e- good versus evil, you know, the the eternal battle that we're fighting the the the, the powers that run this world. Uh, you know, Ephesians six twelve to thirteen. The battle's not against the flesh and blood, is it? It's against the principalities and powers of the of the evil forces the darkness that rule this world this is ephesians and the spiritual wickedness in high places the seven deadly sins these people are not coming from doing what's good for humanity they don't have a conscience of you know brotherly love and what jesus would say was the two greatest commandments love the lord god with all your heart soul and mind might mind and love your neighbor as yourself they're not coming from there they're coming from what they're coming from maximizing profit you know what i mean from from virtually putting the very first seven deadly sins at the top of their platform you know and the greed the pride you see what I'm saying? And this is a spiritual battle. It's more than an economic battle. It's it's a spiritual battle. And I don't have all the answers. Certainly, I've had very few. But first, we need to define our enemy and what we're up against before we can develop a game plan. You know, and their intention is... Exactly as you said, to divide and conquer us, to set up a scenario where we're fighting one another on any and all levels, you know, rather than focusing on where the corruption uh, that really, I think, has become unveiled in the World Economic Forum, their agenda, the 2030 agenda, you know, the the uh, Great Reset, all these terms they have, um, which are about really centralizing power 
into a one world government through the World Health Organization, through penetrating uh, governments with people, their, their young global leaders, they call their um, global influencers that, you know, Henry Kissinger, uh, oh God, the, Trudeau, uh, um, um, just to name a few, uh, uh, even um, Putin was a, one of the first graduates of that group um, out of the World Economic Forum. Um, and there's so many others that Klaus Schwab bragged about. Well, I will say, I think that there's a, I don't know about all of that, but I will say, I think there's a lot of distractions that are at play. And I'll use social media as an example. When we look at the algorithm, I mean, I'm not on Instagram much. When we look at the algorithm, why is it that certain topics are trending or will get like millions and millions of views and others will not? If you notice a lot of times the important issues, the more serious ones that have a narrative that is different from the mainstream media narrative, those things usually do not get those kinds of views, especially now, because I look at YouTube and I know they've increased, like ramped up their censorship. And this is why you'll see them, you know, whether you agree with him or not, this is why you'll see them take down someone like Jackson Hinkle. This is why you'll see them take down someone like, uh, I know uh, MCSE Network went through demonetization on YouTube as well. This is why you'll see them take down those voices because that's not the narrative that they want to get across. And I would argue that if YouTube did not have the algorithm that they had where they're suppressing independent media, and one day I'm going to do a show, you guys, where I'm going to actually show you examples of how they're suppressing us. I'm going to show you guys that. But if they didn't have that algorithm that they have right now suppressing independent media, we would be getting just as many views as CNN and MSNBC videos on YouTube. But we are heavily suppressed, more so than we were like four or five years ago. And again, like I said, it's because they want to control the narrative. Oh, for sure. I mean, uh, I got booted off of Facebook. I kept my father used to work for J.D. Cyril, a big pharma company as a salesman. And there were a lot of things I was posting on Facebook. I was involved in a lot of groups, you know, for justice reform, criminal justice reform, probate reform, et cetera, et cetera. And all that I can do. But when I started posting things that I learned through my dad about big pharma and things that I dug into the, well, just to tie it into what you're saying, I've, I got the platform is what happened. I, they kicked me off Facebook. Where, where things on the NIH, National Institute of Health, open access medical journal, PubMed, that I could share with you and your audience at some point, I know I've had a lot of time today, but I can call back another day, that totally put this whole thing into perspective in a, in a way that is shocking. I mean, that, but anyway, I, 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 one example, remdesivir, if one were to Google PubMed and I, remdesivir, renal failure. Now, remdesivir is a drug they use in the hospitals if you get put in the hospital for COVID. One third renal, renal failure rate with remdesivir on the NIH library PubMed open access medical journal. I've posted this before, I talk it all the time. You have to ask yourself, why is that medication even approved? 
you know, I'm not asking you that. I'm just making a point. And any, any of your audience can look this up and see what I'm saying to be true. That's just one example. There's so many others that are, and, and what happened was I started citing these examples, many others on, well, I'll give you an example. My dad was so for big pharma before he opened his own bicycle shop, he got out of it when I was very young, said to me at one point, don't let any doctor ever tell you herbs don't work. Most pharmaceuticals are derived from herbs. And for example, he, I was very young. So he said, like aspirins comes from white willow bark. He said, for example, and he said, so don't let any doctor tell you otherwise. He said, I'm nothing but a glorified drug pusher. I think he had some bad experiences. He got out of that. I was only eight when he told me that. And it affected me in a, obviously a powerful way. And he ended up opening his own business as a bicycle shop. But the point I'm trying to make is that always drove me to look for herbal, herbal remedies and to dig deeper. And I mean, there's so much on NIH site on COVID and natural products like black walnut. Like, so if you were to go to PubMed, just PubMed keywords, COVID, I'll pick one, uh, black seed, black walnut, uh, oregano oil. Uh, there's, there's so many savvy that I, I, I could spend a lot of time describing them all, but they all have components that have fought COVID and been that, that have medical science behind them. There's even a Dr. Mo Bean who has a YouTube channel and he's originally from Pakistan. Mo Bean with two E's. So this is all on YouTube, right? Mo Bean. And he cited a study, Sabi, they use black seed and honey in a hospital setting for people with severe COVID. And they, what they did was they used a cocktail of the cocktails that were available at the time. One included hydroxychloroquine, of course. The others were monoclonal antibodies, remdesivir. And the best they were able to do was lower the death rate from 25 to 18% on which combination they used. The black seed and honey dropped the death rate to 4% for people with severe COVID. And Dr. Mobin, who's a doctor, cites all the reasons why on a cellular level, how this works. He hasn't been kicked off YouTube. He has a channel. And one has to ask, this is before the emergency use authorization for the jab. And you have to ask yourself, how is it that we've ever gotten to where we got to when that information's out there? And, and a doctor is citing it and not being deplatformed. Of course, most people haven't heard of him. Do you follow me? But he's still wow. on YouTube. And then he also cites, Sabi, he also cites mouthwashes and he covers all of them. And this was all done based on science. You know, this, and he's very, he gets very deep and he's fact, he won't post anything till he says, till he has time to really dig and understand that and how it works. But he cites how the mouthwashes kill the COVID in the mucous membranes and which mouthwashes are best. I mean, how is it we haven't all heard of this from mainstream media? It, it gets back to your saying it doesn't fit the narrative of the mainstream media. And then it's, it's, 
in alternative platforms or some doctor that few people have heard about. And yet then policies are made based on big pharma, obviously money that were completely and are completely unnecessary that had drastic effects on everybody's life and the economy and everything we're dealing with now. This, right. this is- Right, but I'll, so I will you know, that there's a couple of things at play here. Um, you're right about like herbal remedies. My grandmother, you know, was really big on that. She had home remedies for a lot of things. Um, mm. and just, and that came from the fact that like growing up, she couldn't afford to buy like medicine or prescription drugs and stuff like that. So they had home remedies that they would use. And, you know, I still swear by some of those things till this day, but I will say this, the reason why we're not hearing about, everyone's not hearing about what that doctor is saying about black seed and honey and all those other things is because there's no money in that. Yes. They can't patent it. They can't patent it. It occurs in nature. That's right. You're at hundred percent right. And in fact, talking about to validate what you're saying, he said he about family. He said when he was growing up in Pakistan, he said my mom used to say they used to take a pinch of black seed every morning. It's a spice. It's like people use turmeric, you know, to cook with Indian food. So they use black seed. It's a black cumin. It's a it's a spice. And he said my my mother used to say, "Yep, we're all gonna take a pinch of this. This will kill everything but death." <laughs> It's so, so, you know, it's funny we can go back to those childhood things, you know, because they worked. I mean, before Big Farmer, before the Flexner Report and Rockefeller, that's all there was. You know what I mean? Whether it was coming from American Indian medicine or Chinese herbal medicine or, you know, the osteopaths at the time and the naturopaths, there wasn't anything but that, you know? And, uh, Colloidal silver today, you can buy a cream on Amazon for a topical antibiotic. Colloidal silver, it, it, there's nothing resistant to it to this day. In fact, and I'm, I'm calling from Connecticut, the Bridgeport area. We have the uh, University of Bridgeport, which has a naturopathic clinic, Sabi, that works directly with Yale University. Why? Because, you know, all these superbugs that have come up due to the antibiotic resistance, right? That infect the hospitals like C. difficile, for example, or MRSA, you remember that was a big issue in C. diff. The, the U University of Bridgeport works directly with Yale to develop complementary treatments based on, you know, the Bible and herbal medicine, basically. You know what I mean? It's all in the Bible. That's the other thing. I don't mean to get super, you know, Bible thumping, but hey, I'll, I'll, I'll quote the Bible when I can. <laughs> I mean, we're basically, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but didn't, weren't we told in the Bible and your grandma, mom and mom were told it's it, it, the healing remedies are in the, the trees, the, the, the plants, the, the herbs, the grasses, you know, the fruits of the trees. And that's true. hundred percent true. In fact, gosh, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard of the herb elderberry. Yeah, well, I have. Do you know Tamiflu is derived from elderberry? And that if you were to go on PubMed COVID elderberry or PubMed respiratory illness elderberry, even on the, our own NIH site, you'll see elderberry as being very effective in respiratory illnesses. And then, then oh my goodness, 
There's another study I found 2010 on zinc ionophores, which I can give you, quercetin is a zinc ionophore. And how it, in 2010 study, how it fights many viruses, including coronaviruses, even polio, okay? And other zinc ionophores are hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine. Hydroxychloroquine is derived from a tree bark, chinchona tree. And there was a 2005 study. Remember when we had SARS-1 and you had that whole thing in 2005? Well, there was a 2005 study on chloroquine being safe and effective versus SARS coronaviruses. This is in virology medical. And so these are medical periodicals that I'm citing, Yeah. right? Well, Facebook didn't like that. Facebook didn't like that. And I, the, I would, somebody told me once about hashtag replay Facebook. I went, what is that? I got a messenger for messaging, messaging Facebook. And someone in one of the groups said, you need to go on hashtag replay. You're all over hashtag replay. I said, I have no idea what that is. What that was, was that the administrators of all these different groups would then <clears throat> cite on hashtag replay the what they felt was the, I'm not saying this the most, but was the best of being posted. Because I post everything based on science and based on these medical journals that I, 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 I'm no expert. I just dig, you know what I mean? And learn and then post. And I was involved with about 12 groups. And Facebook kept knocking me down in the algorithm, you know what I mean? And then I get warnings I was going to get banned, and then I get banned for a period of time, then they reinstate. They never gave me a good reason. Of course, I appealed. They never, I never heard anything back. You know, then I get reinstated. Well, then it went from weeks to months, like a month ban, and that happened three times, and finally, boom, gone. And when they booted me the last time, they cited allegedly two articles I posted that somehow violated the community standards, but Normally, they would tell you which articles they were. They wouldn't even disclose which articles they were talking about. Yeah. So then no recourse whatsoever. Zip, gone. Yeah. Well, well, thank you so much for all this, William. I do I do have to get going soon, so I just sure. want to make sure I get the last two callers. But I, I hear where you're coming from. Thanks a lot for Sab. It's good talking to you. I appreciate your time. You too. Thank you. Yep. All right. Uh, Loki, you are the next caller. Just have to unmute. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay, so I, I jumped in kind of in the in the middle of your broadcast, but um, yeah, I, I think uh, China has been really. I think a lot of China's power right now has come from the fact that they've um, they've uplifted a lot of their people from poverty and into the middle class. Whereas the U.S. has seems to have plunged more people into poverty, and you know, that's yeah, that will definitely change the balance of power. If you have anything to say on that, first before I say anything else. Yeah, I agree. I I, I say that, and also, you know, we just stop producing things here. It's just, it's. I don't know if everyone knows this. Um, but it's not just China that we get like parts from, you know, I mean, even when it comes to the automobile industry, some of the automobile parts we get come from Mexico. So it's just, 
you know, it's it's interesting to me that you have some of the same politicians who want to talk down on China now and fearmonger about China uh, rising as they are, but they also were complicit in sending jobs overseas to China. So it's just this is just a slap in the face right back at them. It's like you sent these jobs abroad. You decided that it would be better, you know, for these companies if these products were made faster and and cheaper and they could cut back on some of these jobs. I mean, what did they think was going to happen to all those people that lost their jobs? And then they now they want to complain about the homelessness situation. I'm like, no, the, the economy, capitalism in this country has contributed greatly to people's economic situation right now. And I had never thought in my lifetime I would see this many tent communities. Now, homelessness has always been an issue, but the tent communities are popping up everywhere and it's getting worse and worse. There are still people being evicted right now as I speak, even though after that eviction moratorium, they're being evicted from affordable housing units. So nothing has improved when it comes to the working class and the poor. And now it's such a big deal because now even the middle class is starting to become affected. And if you pay attention to the way politicians talk about the class system in this country, they always mention class and working class. You never hear them mention people who are poor. And you have to ask, why is that? It's like they don't even care about the poor people or they blame poor people for being poor. And you can be poor and still be employed. Poor doesn't mean that you're lazy and that you just don't want a job. Poor doesn't mean that you can be poor and have a a job where you work 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week. This is how this system has become in this country. It's not sustainable anymore. And now more and more people are starting to become affected. But it's only the only reason I feel, in my opinion, it's making a lot more noise now is because now you have middle class people who are also complaining. So it's just, it's not sustainable anymore. And we need to do something different. For sure. And I I think that, like, it kind of proves that, you know, perhaps a lot of the political stuff is, is, more, is more theater than anything. I'm sure that the decisions there, that are, that are made have, you know, have effects on people, for sure, since they're, you know, enforced by a police state. But as as far as uh, you know, as far as China, China and U.S. being rivals are concerned, that's that's mainly between the governments. The you know the companies have no scruples about um, going, you know, working both sides. You know, they didn't have scruples about working both sides during World War II with you know Nazis and Americans. They they're gonna go where the money is and they're gonna hedge their bets. You know as best as they can. Well said, Loki. Well said. Yeah, I'm, I'm just worried that uh, more and more Americans are buying into the fear-mongering about China. And that is not to say that China is a perfect country. They have their issues as well. But oh, for sure. yeah, there's scary. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's scary to me that so many people are buying into this, that China is this evil you know, country that we need to be, you know, concerned with. And it's just all controlled by mainstream media. That's where the narrative is coming from. Weapons of mass distraction. Yeah, same stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, I think people, people, you know, should more focus on what, you know, they, they can do together more than, you know, what their their government can do for them. Although, you know, every... 
uh, that's that's kind of our argument too between um, what do you call it direct action and political action. But I, you know, you have to you have to hit when when you're in a fight. You know, you 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 hit from all angles and you take all opportunities. So it's going to be different for some people than others. But you know, people have to really resist the atomization that's being kind of pushed on them and the the cult of the self if you will that just you know teaches people that you know i'm i'm right all the time i don't have to listen to other people's opinions you know if i'm comfortable about what happens to you know other people you know i don't need a sob story you know know, people's mentality goes to and you know people really just have to shift shift their priorities into making that a reality, you know? Another thing I want to point out too, and thank you for saying that, but um, for the people who think that this isn't something that they should care about because they're not directly affected, which I hear that a lot, you may not be directly affected right now, but if this continues and it gets worse, eventually you will be affected. And I can explain why. If you're a business owner, and it's getting to the point where people can't afford to support your business anymore. They're not buying your products. People are struggling. That's going to affect your income too. Now, obviously the billionaires, they're still going to be protected. They have funds overseas, but other people who might be upper middle class and people who might be quote unquote wealthy, so to speak, that are not a part of this billionaire millionaire class, if they have businesses that they own and all of a sudden people stop buying their product because they just can't afford to anymore, they're going to be affected too. For sure. Yeah. But there's, that's, that's why there's kind of a, yeah, there's, there's also the, the other push to, to like, I don't, I don't, I know there's, you know, 1% is kind of a generalization, but it's, but there's, you know, there's rich people with different priorities and and those that are probably billionaires might have slightly different priorities from from uh you know from millionaires and then there's people like whoever owns these these large uh what do you call these hedge funds and um all all these other kind of companies that that like deal in the buying and trading of other you know companies and stuff which you know they're not even so they're not even so well documented how rich how rich they are and it's not all it's not transparent at all so you so it's hard to get clear data on that but you know true i my my thinking is just that what what are they all relying on you know relying on no matter how how rich they are true they have the money but like Unless somebody takes that job from them, some unless somebody agrees to do that work for them, you know, then you know they don't really they don't have the power. None of them, none of them could run the company all by themselves, you know. When especially when you're that big, it's really it's that's right. That's right. This is the, this is another reason why I said we need a general strike. If everybody, if if it got to the masses, look at what the truckers did in Canada, whether you agree with what they, the message they were running on or not, they showed you that things can just, they can shut things down. And the same thing can happen here. Look at what the farmers did in Italy and what the farmers did in the Netherlands. They showed the the higher ups, they showed these uh, 
the elitists that they can just shut things down. That's the thing. And so I think. Sorry, sorry. I think that's that's great. And, you know, but I also think people have been showing this for like uh, hundreds of years with protests and it's been, you know, a very, a very effective tool. But then like in, in addition to, to striking and taking your labor away from them, you have to, you have to use, you have to use your labor, your value to enrich the people around you who will then, you know, lift, lift you up. Just like, uh, I don't know, one of the, one of the economic, um, what do you call that? One of the economic signals of like how how rich a neighborhood is going to be is how many times that dollar you know makes a circle in that community. Like who, if it doesn't go very far to change hands and it you know it stays stays within one neighborhood, that whole neighborhood's going to get way richer than if you know this dollar goes to one person and then jumps to Amazon or jumps to you know somebody's pocket very very far away. So people have to. Uh, they have to have more strategy than than just you know making noise, which is which is good because the media is the mainstream media. Excuse me, is, is trying to uh, suppress that as well. So it's obviously, that's right. I do have to. Um, I, I do have to. Sorry, Loki. I do have to cut it short because I have two more callers and I have about ten minutes left because I have to do the Sabi and JB show as well. Um, but thank you so much for calling. No problem. Thanks for having me. Okay, Janine, you are the next caller. You just have to hit unmute. Okay. Savvy, can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay. Well, first, I just want to say I love the show and uh, I love what you, and thank you for what you do. <laughs> oh, thank you. you. You're, you're, all, you're consistent and you're out there, you know, spreading the good news. So I appreciate you. And um, I guess, um, with this particular topic, I mean, a lot have, has already been said. I, I guess I would just add with, um, you know, with what happened with NAFTA and, and of course, Bill Clinton and outsourcing. You know, I, I, I think this was pretty inevitable for China and 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 not just China, you know, whether it's China, India, um, you know, some of the other brick nations that they were going to eventually, you know, if they play their cards right, that you know, that eventually over the next couple of generations that, that they will build a um, effective workforce that would compete, you know, um, globally on, you know, within economics, you know, those who come over uh, and take advantage of the, you know, ed uh, the educational um, opportunities here, you know, uh, even before, you know, Trump and, and everything like that. So I think it was kind of just with our unfortunate poor leadership and the several opportunities that we, you know, that our government and the different leaders going back from, you know, whether it was Clinton, Barack, you know, Trump, you know, Bush, you know, the so many opportunities that we've had to educate, you know, to re-educate our workforce. I remember I was working in career services when under the recession and we knew then that there was a large segment of the population that had to be retrained in different skills because like you said earlier, you know, we took all the, the tech and the wood shop and all that out of, out of the schools. And so we knew that there was going to be like two generations, like the millennials and the Gen Z's. I'm a Gen X 
who weren't going to have the same opportunities because they didn't have the same skills. And we just, you know, kind of just passed the, you know, we just passed on that, you know, it was kind of like, well, we'll just put them in Amazon factories, right? <laughs> and, you know, and, and do all this gig economy. And so, you know, we just pretty much didn't give them what they needed to, to be successful, you know, and, and, and even us Gen X's, you know, those who didn't, you know, necessarily pick the right, you know, you, get, you got the degree, but you didn't pick the, the degree didn't fit the opportunities once you left, right? So then you had to, you know, take a job that you you ended up getting into all the student debt, <laughs> but you end up taking a job that only paid you thirty thousand thirty thousand a, a year, right? Salary. So, so you just have so many things that has happened that has placed us now in this, you know, this stratified economy, you know, of haves and have nots, and you know, just That's for right. those who, yeah, and um, you know, so just for those who have some kind of ability to navigate even that has become difficult I'm, i like to even myself personally today i <laughs> i'm ready to go <laughs> fight verizon because oh my god you know they've become so ridiculous as far as just the pricing and service and just you can't even get anyone on the, you know customer service to help solve a situation like something that five years ago i could have got done like for that when it only took me 10 minutes now you can't even get anyone on the line you know to help you know solve a to troubleshoot a situation you know because you know where we are as far as people you know not being under you know those companies being understaffed and you know so it's really gotten to a point where i think you know you just have all these things converging at once you know uh, a society that's i would say very apolitical um <laughs> And that's kind of across generations, you know, like people have very little, a uh, very little his history, you know, whether it's local history or, you know, just, you know, U.S. history. And then things happen and people are like surprised. And I'm just like, these things kind of, you know, are cyclical in, in a lot of ways. So, you know, and so I, I, I think there's, you know, I always try to look at hope, you know, who we didn't know, you know, of course, you know, that we would have the progressive movement. But like you said earlier, like was talked about earlier, um, you, you, we've, we've, we got divisions there. Um, but I think, you know, I, I'm hopeful that we still have some positive voices, some some very aggressive, um, interesting people who can kind of sh shake through some of this BS. And uh, you know, radicalize some people so that that so that we don't just take it lying down, you know, as working people. Um, you, but we just have to be in the right places at the right time. So, and um, so I, I'll just stop there. Uh, well said, uh, Janine. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate you. <laughs> like I said, I appreciate your show, and I'm, thanks for letting me speak a little bit. Thanks so much for calling in. All right, Roger, um, I'm putting you on the mic. I got like five minutes and then I, I have to head out to get ready. But you just got to okay. unmute. Okay, so let me go through this real quick. I wrote it down. Okay, boom. One, where Professor, Wood, where Professor Richard Wolf is concerned, the reason why we never heard of him until now 
was he, along with his college professors, he learned under were the victims of right-wing censorship that happened the moment FDR died. His type of thinking was heavily suppressed in legacy media. Once the fairness doctrine was repealed during the Reagan administration, that was it. That made it even worse. The descendants of those same right-wingers today are the same ones who, who are the same ones who are now complaining about the left censoring them. So, you know, talk about reaping what you sow. Now, regarding China, like I said, corporate pushed for that because they wanted to get around workplace environmental regulations, especially when it came to came to pushing back against unions. That started with Nixon normalizing uh, relations with China, culminating with the whole WTO protests and permanent normal trade relations with China under Bill Clinton. So whether it be with the outsourcing of our jobs to China, Taiwan, Malaysia, and south of the border, SCOTUS ruling in favor of the corporate class and Wall Street ghouls, using the CIA to launch coup d'etats in socialist communist countries to get at their resources, using the military industrial complex to destabilize countries as a warning to say, you don't play ball with us, this is what happens to those who, who uh, don't play ball with us. Whether it's the CIA on U.S. soil collaborating with the FBI to infiltrate pro-peace, anti-war, socialist, leftist organizations, not to passively monitor, but to, but to, to see if they're to do anything criminal, but going beyond that and goading them into committing acts of crime as a way to hold up to the press and justify their existence and justify to Congress why they need more funding. When you take a step back, who is at the core of all of this? I will tell you, it is the corporation and Wall Street. They got everyone who I just named working for them. If you want to get at the core of what's going on, you have to abolish the corporation and replace them with co-ops. Simply saying abolish the FBI, abolish the police, the CIA, they don't represent the core of the problem because all of those who I just named work at the behest of the corporations and Wall Street. That's who they protect. If you take away what they protect and replace them with something that protects us that we can use, then they will have, then they will cease to exist pretty much. It's like they will abolish themselves. You see what I'm saying? And not to mention charter public banking across the country, a network of public banks, reinstate um, postal banks that will redistribute the might, uh, the, you know, the power of Wall Street. Okay, what you were saying before about, um, I know that someone was talking, people were talking about quality stuff made in America or whatever. Yeah, worker cooperative guarantees American-made manufacturing since they would never vote to move the manufacturing plant outside of the community, state, or country, rendering themselves jobless. They would not vote to replace their jobs with automation without at least creating new positions in the company for what the human can start doing while the automation takes over what they used to do. It's self-regulating since the factory is located in the community. The moment they find out that they are operating in a way that puts the safety of the community at risk, be it water, air quality, environment safety, they'll automatically change course. There would be no cover-ups. Everyone is connected to that plant. It's guaranteed workplace safety. 
they are also going to, uh, they're not going to do to themselves, put themselves in a position that Amazon and Tyson Foods put their workers in a position during COVID, saying get in there and work and catch COVID and take bets on who's going to get it and die because they own the company. They're going to make sure, okay, what can we do here to protect ourselves? Five, going back to the high quality of products and services with the furniture that you was talking with Ikea and all that. Due to the fact that the workers are stakeholders having a common vested interest in the success of the company, work morale will be high, guaranteeing highly qualified American-made products and services get produced because you have a vested interest in making sure that, you know, you have ownership in it. So there's, a, there's more pride into what you're building. Six, provides a constant, reliable tax base. None of this, oh, you want to tax me at a higher rate? Well, then I'm going to take my ball, my company, and go home to another state or country and take all the jobs with me. You know, they can be given subsidies to help build, but get paid back in uh, taxes as it grows. Inflation is, it wouldn't be a thing because inflation comes from the greed that corporations use as a cover to raise prices. You see what I'm saying? And it combats the supply ch uh, chain crisis. If you got all these different types of cooperatives forming a multi-stakeholder cooperative, be it you know utility, worker, consumer, financial, producer, you all can establish your own supply chain in, um, in, in uh, 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 all of it, uh, pretty much. And, uh, oh yeah, regarding the division, okay, that you was just talking about, before and all of us coming together, you can cut through all of that by seeing what you had done at home, state and local. Always remember, charity begins at home. Make use of the ballot initiative and veto referendums. See what you can do to get done there, local and state. If you don't live in a ballot initiative state, strive to force your state lawmakers to put an amendment before you for ratification that would allow you to be one. Um, Speaking of which, by the way, um, just wanted to mention this, that you can pass this on to your comrade, Nick. Missouri has just finished with their ballot initiatives and determined what will be and not be on the ballot this November. Apparently, out of all 30 of those initiatives that the voters tried to get on the ballot, the only one to make it um, was legalization of marijuana. Um, not only that, but most of the legislative referred constitutional amendments that they were going to try to put before voters to ratify didn't make it on onto it also. However, a few did. Um, let him know that Amendment 4 is an amendment specifically that would affect Kansas City, that it has to do with giving more money to Kansas City police. Uh, it's Amendment 4. Also, okay. the, the, the last, yeah, then the last thing, um, yeah, that lady didn't call me back yet, so I don't know. You're gonna have to, from uh, mass care, those, those people trying to get Massachusetts Medicare for all or whatever. So yeah. I don't know how far 34 Tremont Street is from you, but that's where I know where at. it's at. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Cool. I will let Nick know about that. Uh, Roger, thank mm -hmm. you so much for that. I'm sure he'll be really interested to hear that. Um, but mm -hmm. well said. Like, well, thank you for educating everybody on this call. I got to tell you guys, like Roger Meadow mm -hmm. always comes with like. He comes with the, the the receipts and the history and everything. Um, but thanks so much for uh, calling in, Roger. I do have to uh, get going so I can get ready for the JB no show. No problem. All right, cool. 
Cool beans. All right, guys. Um, yeah, I will be on the Savvy and JB show on RBN at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So look forward to that. We're going to be talking about um, how capitalism has affected the media. So that should be a really good discussion. I'll be live tonight on my channel at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Um, and we're going to be, God, we got a lot to talk about tonight. But I'm thinking about doing a call-in segment tonight after my live stream about this whole thing that has happened between Jimmy Dore and Nina Turner, because I do want to hear your uh, takes on this and how you guys feel about this discussion. That's one of the stories I'll be covering tonight, along with uh, Bernie Sanders uh, choosing to not address the Joe Biden issue for 2024. And also I have a guest coming on tonight who has had to deal with some, uh, hostile uh, situation actually at his former employer. So uh, he's going to come on and talk about that and how it has affected him. So uh, definitely check that out later on tonight, guys. I'm signing off. Thanks so much for joining in. Later.